Hello and welcome to this episode of Superhero Ethics. Friends, we're just about the end of the year, and this is when people often will spend some time looking back on the year that was, the things that were great, the things that were not so great. Often a content website like this will look specifically at that content. But a lot of us, we might be spending some time thinking about, you know, who we are, what we are, what we want to change, what resolutions we want to make so we can break them within a week or two. What's going to be different? Paul and I are kind of doing exactly that with Superhero Ethics today. We're going to be talking about how we sort of felt about 2022 as a year, but we're also going to be talking about sort of how we feel Superhero Ethics has been because we're, uh, I think this is now almost seven years we've been doing this podcast. We've both given a lot of thought to where we want to see it go and what comes next and some other things. We're going to have a lot of that to talk, tell you about right after this. Welcome back. I'm Matthew, your host, they, them pronouns. I'm Paul Hoppy, a.k.a. Zen Madman, your not host. And <laughs> I gently prefer they, them pronouns, but I'm not super, um, I don't know, whatever. I'm the way I am. <laughs> By now, you know, or you don't. <laughs> that seems very fair. That seems very fair. So, Paul, I'm really glad you're here with me for this because uh, you've been as we say, you were officially the co-host for a while. You've now officially right. been unofficially the co-host, but the most regular guest for quite some time. Yeah. And this is a podcast that's really gone through a lot of changes and a lot of evolution. And recently, I think you and I have been finding that, you know, Star Wars podcast has been so exciting with so much new content. You and I have both been going through a little bit of burnout in some ways about some of the superhero content, some of the things as well as we were talking about how we've kind of gotten to a place of wondering how many new conversations there are to have within the superhero ethics sort of genre. Like, I think there's still a lot to be said, but some of our last recordings have felt a little bit like, okay, well, you know, maybe we're covering some of the same stuff, et cetera, et cetera. Now, to those who are panicking, this is not our sign-off episode by any means. But I do think that one of the things we've been talking about, and Paul, I'll let you speak to this as well, is that maybe it's time for a shift, and to try something a little bit different. And I am definitely dedicated to the idea of continuing to use media as a way to have these conversations. Uh, this is by no means going to be the last episode of Superhero Ethics. We have a couple of others that we've already recorded. We're going to continue to do some in some format or another. But I, we are going to take some time to um, reflect a bit and to come up with maybe some new ways that we're going to be making content together, as well as probably still having Paul on from time to time with the Star Wars Universe podcast. So... There's a lot we wanted to do today in terms of just kind of looking back and talking about like what has looking back at, at this year in content, but much more importantly, looking back on this podcast and sort of what we learned from it, what we love, what didn't go as well. And then we'll talk more at the end about some of our ideas about what might be coming next. So want to let folks know, like this is a time of transition and change. Superhero ethics might be going in a different direction. Uh, the ideas and the core concept and me generating content about it are not going to end. But um, we're just going to take some time to kind of uh, reflect and think and, and see where we go. Um, but I wanted to put out for this end of the year just a real chance to kind of reflect on the podcast itself. Me too. <laughs> Here, I, I can I can give you a better lead. No, it's okay. I, I could I, – I just wasn't – I was like, oh, now I'm supposed to say something. What am I supposed to say? <laughs> um, actually, I was going to edit that out and say let's do it again. But no, that's actually fairly rather emblematic of a lot of our discussions. It is. Go. It is. Both because I think sometimes you may have trouble responding and often because I will forget to ask a question and just pontificate. Mm -hmm. But you know, anyway, go ahead. 
I'm I'm uh, I'm all about the pontification. I even uh-huh. invented a word, expondicate, which sort of means that, but has some other uh, connotations, which you can you know come up with for yourself. Uh, uh-huh. That that actually oddly transitions me into one of the things I I did want to say about this, which is um, I feel like first of all, this has been a great opportunity, um, mm-hmm. you know, for me in terms of. Being able to basically take conversations that we're going to have anyway. Yeah. And, you know, put them, make them a little tighter than they otherwise be, would be, you know, <laughs> like instead of being like a four hour car ride type conversation, it's like a one in an hour and 59 minute type conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, and put them out there and kind of feel compelled to sometimes codify some thoughts a little a little more tightly and and sometimes find you know where there's there's some gaps in in my thinking about things and then to hear what what other people have to say and and to be able to you know share those ideas right right and i i think that has a a ton of value and um you know both for the people sharing ideas and and for the people having ideas share i mean the, the point of sharing is it's like it's like you know, both ways, right? As I look back, there's a lot of things that I'm looking at that I think we could have done better, that I could have done better, particularly in terms of like facilitating places to continue the conversations. Mm. And I think we're starting to find better, we're starting to get better at that. Certainly we've gotten a lot more guests on lately, which has been great. But something I think I want to be a lot more intentional about as we move into 2023 and some new ideas, because yeah, I... Uh, one of my uh, – Jacob Leachich, who was a, a co-host for quite a while, his wife made it uh, – we once asked her if she wanted to be on the podcast as well. And her response is, why do I want to be a part of your joint ego project, uh, <laughs> which I, a joint vanity project, which I think there's a lot of truth to. There's a certain extent to – there is some fundamental ego in the idea of – Wow, this great conversation we just had for four hours in a car. The whole world should hear what we have to say. <laughs> right. Um, and I won't excuse that from myself uh, in any way. But I do think part of it is also the like, I want other people to hear this because I want to know what they think too. And kind of, I, I think one of the things that I am most grateful for is that despite having uh, a wide range of ability that was given or not given in how easy it was to reach us for that feedback and, and continue the conversations that we did get so much of it over the years. I mean, I, I counted, we got more than a hundred total of like email feedback, uh, emails, uh, tweets, things like that, that were responding to points we made or giving us questions they wanted to hear us make. So just as a thank you to all you who are listening who did that, um, it was really great. But also, I think it, it, it's the thing, honestly, if it wasn't for that, I wouldn't still be doing podcasting because then it would still feel just like you and I are having these fun conversations. Why do the work of editing and sound and all the rest of it? Right. Yeah. I mean, I think there's there's some desire to feel like you're not just like shouting into the void kind of, right? Uh-huh. Um, I mean, I think to an extent, I feel like listener numbers do provide that. You know, yep. of like, oh, yeah, there's, you know, there's people who are deliberately listening to whatever it is we're saying, you know. And yeah. I mean, I there's an extent to which it's like, well, what's the point of saying something if you don't want anyone to hear it? <laughs> you can just use your inside your head voice. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, um, but yeah, I, I I think having that feedback of of ideas, right? Not just oh, I, I liked it, you know, this or that, or this was, you know, I enjoyed this point or that point. Um, but like, I disagree with this point, or yes, I like that point and this other thought that kind of 
uh, continues on from there. I think... um, I think in like a larger sense, that's what people need to do more of, right? Just like in the world is listening to one another's ideas and then thinking about them some and then uh, sharing, you know, their own ideas and reactions and having the people who were speaking in the first place listening to, to those reactions, right? I mean, I imagine at some point, you know, you can... If you have a million listeners, you know, and you're getting a thousand messages a week or whatever, it's like, well, you 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 probably can't read all of those. Right. Right. But uh, I, I do think just, you know, the kind of the spirit of conversation that's and that's kind of how this podcast is different than how I had really like I didn't really listen to podcasts right okay didn't I I don't really listen to to very many podcasts <laughs> right um and the ones that I had listened to and really benefited from um were mostly a single person basically almost like an audiobook right right where they're just saying okay um I'm going to to talk in Spanish in a kind of intermediate level and then there's going to be a transcript and you can use that to improve uh you know your Spanish while also thinking about some other maybe some cultural things or um some things about grammar or whatever it is um and or like you know it's going to be a poker podcast where somebody's just talking about hands and they're basically just um explaining why they think a, a thing works the way it works and i think there's plenty of value of that and i'm into that and um i might do some of that myself in the future but i think the thing about this podcast that has been great and this is apparently what many podcasts aim to do is that it's it's about conversation right it's about exchanging ideas and not just um pontificating oneself and then having only an audience listening that's not responding immediately but also having you know a guest or co-host and who's who's you know bouncing the ball back and right you know i think we've obviously had a lot of common ground over the years, and and I think mm-hmm. you know other guests and and Jacob as well. I think you know you you often aim to get someone who's going to have you know a perspective that's compatible. But I think it's mm-hmm. most interesting when the perspective is compatible but not the same, right? Yeah. And it was fair. like there was that one um, piece of listener feedback that's like, would you consider getting you know kind of a broader range of guests on, or like would you have like really very conservative people on? And and I think your response was kind of like, well, yes, as long as we agree on certain fundamental truths, kind of, right? Like there's certain arguments that someone might make that I'm just like, I'm not going to listen to that argument because you are starting from a place that assumes certain givens that just like, no, like I, I'm not, that's not a point up for discussion for me. And and that's generally about like basic human rights and, you know, for me, animal rights. Right. I think that's a really good way to put it. I think especially because it ties in well to what I was thinking before I wanted to respond to, which is the comment of our conversation, which is that I think. One of the things that I was really my thought in starting this podcast, and I think also the process of podcasting has really helped crystallize for me, is the difference between a conversation and an argument. Mm-hmm. And one of the things I think that has been really important, and I think you have actually really helped me with this, because a lot of the way you would often structure is for like, okay, well, I've got these different points. So let me elucidate them clearly. And sometimes it'd be like, oh, okay, let me discuss point one before you go to point 13, please. Right. Um, but is that... It's very easy when two people are having a, a discussion that, that's kind of unstructured 
to start mixing up the different point, you know, and to start getting into the kind of, well, like, I like this thing for this, but I don't like this thing for that other thing. And then, like, we're, we're, we're kind of talking at cross purposes to each other, or we're not talking about the, quite the same thing, especially when with the questions I think we were asking on this podcast a lot, and I'm, I'm trying really hard for this part not to just sound self-congratulatory, so apologies <laughs> if it does. Um, this is more about the goals we were trying to get to, and you can tell us how well or how well we didn't meet them. But it felt to me so important to kind of tease apart some of the different strains of things. Like, okay, well, we don't like um, these elements of a justice system in our own world. That's certainly valid. This fictional world mirrors that in some ways. Cool. How can we pull that apart from some things within the fictional world itself? You know, or, or how do they all link up and stuff like that? And I think one of the things that I feel like I've gotten a lot better at, both in this but just in my life in general, is like when I'm having conversations and I feel those kind of like a couple of different topics merging, I want to pull them apart a bit. You know, when I want to be like, okay, well, actually, I think I think there's some truth on this point, but maybe on this other point, this other person has something to say, but we're kind of like yelling at each other instead of really hearing how like you both might have some part of the truth. Yeah, for sure. I think that's one of the most frequent kind of I, – I don't want to say areas of disagreement, but um, – one of the most frequent failures to really listen to each other and have a productive conversation, I think, comes from not actually listening to and not addressing the the concrete points that someone else is making, right? right. And and to basically see like, okay, there's an argument that start that's got like there's like ten points of logic, and it's like. You can say, okay, I disagree with your conclusion, but show me where along that chain of logic we depart from one another, right? right. Like, and if it's very early on, then it's going to be pretty hard for us to make progress, you know? Right. Um, but, but not impossible. I mean, we can just be like, okay, well, let's, let's drill down on that then because that's where our right. real disagreement lies, right? Whereas if we're arguing the conclusion – by just talking about points nine and ten, it's like, well, if we disagreed on point two, and assuming these are kind of sequential, right, like if-then right. kind of things, um, then, like, we can't even have a, a coherent conversation about nine and ten if we disagree so much on on something so fundamental like point two. Whereas if it's like seven or eight, it's like, okay, now we can probably talk a little bit more about nine or ten, but we're still going to talk more about the seven and eight and be like, this is, you know – this right. is really the key to me. This is what makes this different. Um, and I, I think not just with the kind of stuff we're talking about, but I, I think all sorts of, um, you know, logic and, and decisions and attempts to kind of understand the world around us. I, I think there's always, you know, a sense of like, OK, well, what are your assumptions and how are we proceeding from those assumptions to eventually a conclusion, and do we even agree on the assumptions in the first place? Right. And I think that also gets to, and this is where I'm so glad for the different perspectives like that you and I have, that me and Jacob have, but also that some of our different guests have brought in over the years. Because I think there's a very big, I think there's a very big difference between two people who agree on sort of like foundational principles, which is kind of what you and I were talking about, about why there's some folks who I'm just never going to have on because we just – there's nothing to talk about because our, our fundamental values are so different. Right. That is very different, I think, from 
where me and someone else have had such basically different experiences and they have maybe experienced things that I haven't or vice versa, that we see the basic things in very different ways. And so like when you're talking about like the point two to point 10 kind of thing, like, <clears throat> you know, to take one of the things that I think is probably the biggest difference between the two of us and what we've talked about constantly over the last seven years, six years. <clears throat> well, my, my my association with the, the validity of numbers is another thing we often disagree on. So <laughs> 6.5 years, whatever it is. Yeah. The, um, the sun has – has uh, the, the earth has orbited the sun more than six times since uh, yes, we began this podcast. Exactly. Um, but is, you know, animal rights and, and um, the sort of value of, of animal life right. and things like that. And that's one where I think there are often times where <clears throat> you haven't tried to convince me of something necessarily – but I would say here's why this argument works, you know, again, my like two through ten logic, which uh, there's a whole bunch of things about the idea of linear arguments that's problematic, but we're not even going to go into that. But also that, um, you know, you'll be like, well, no, no, actually, I go all the way back to point one or two and show you why I see everything fundamentally differently. But there the discussion again is about how you're different, you know, or so for example, like there have been some times where like, you know, with Jessica Plummer, who, you know, she brought in perspectives about things that I just would have never thought of in the same way. But I think when it's when those things are used as a way to say, I am using my own experience to tell you how my reading of the text, and my text I mean whatever media it is we're talking mm -hmm. about, is different than yours. That to me is fundamentally different than, no, 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 I think I know the facts better and therefore I'm declaring your version invalid, you know, or your opinion invalid or whatever it is. Yeah, I think there's an extent to which, well, not an extent to which, everybody has their own perspective, right? right. And nobody has the whole picture in terms of knowing everything that exists and everything about existence, right? And I think... To varying degrees, we, we can use our experiences and our experience of the world to draw conclusions about how the world is, right? About sort of like whether it's the nature of existence or the nature of some specific aspect of existence. Um, and I think having one of the things that's so valuable about hearing different perspectives is just understanding kind of how different someone's perception of something might be, right? And and understanding to what extent our perception of something um, is is based on our own experiences, right? Right. Um, once that it, once our experience then includes the perception of other people's experiences through them sharing them, then that actually becomes part of our experience, not their experiences, but the experience of hearing them. Yeah, communicate sure. that, right? Um, and I yeah. think that adds, as long as we don't then think that we know everything they know or we don't know everything about what it's like to be them, right? Because mm -hmm. we, we don't. We never know everything about what it's like to be anybody else. But, like, I, I think as long as we have a certain amount of kind of humility about how much we've gained from that, I think what we've gained is is quite valuable. Yeah. Like, to give an example, I think... I have had – there's a lot of things about the way women characters are often written. There's a lot of ways in which the way women characters are often written, especially when they're written by men, that can be problematic or have elements of sexism or misogyny that I often would have totally missed the first time I saw them. Mm -hmm. Listening to women talk about these things um, or to other people who are not male or not have the male experience that I have has allowed me to see a lot of that. 
And it's now, it's not that now every time I watch something, I need to say, okay, well, now tell me what I missed. Now my eyes are more open to seeing those things. But there's still always going to be things that I'm going to miss a lot more than, than, than a woman might, you know, or that for me as a disabled person, <clears throat> it's going to go the opposite direction. Right. Where again, that being that like, you know, 10 different women or 10 different disabled people or 10 different queer people or vegans might, they're not all going to see the same thing either. You know, I think that's the other part of it that's so important is being able to say, how can we learn from other voices? How can we allow their perspectives to help us notice, like, what are the things that we don't necessarily see and look for them more, but also not fall into the idea of like, okay, well, I've heard from one person of that perspective. So now I know how everybody in that group feels or anything like that. Right, exactly. It's like Fox News will often have like the one black person to say the thing that you know, a lot of other black people aren't saying. And then it's like, so they're like, oh, see, this is fine. And it's like, right. well, yeah, no, that one person's opinion, it's not invalid. That's their opinion. And, and they're mm-hmm. speaking to their experience. Um, but it doesn't encapsulate, you know, every black person's experience the same way. Yeah. You know, I can tell you how I feel um, watching uh, scenes with you know, um, with like violence towards animals or even just scenes with like meat in them. Right. Yeah. And I'm going to have, I, I feel like I'm kind of somewhere in the middle probably in terms of mm-hmm. amongst all vegans where I know plenty of vegans are like, Oh yeah, I'll go out to a steakhouse and have a salad. And I'm like, <laughs> no, no, I, yeah. I am not doing that. But once upon a time I used to go out with friends and, you know, go wherever kind of, and then just figure out what I could eat. Right. right. Um, I mean- and, I was just going to say then there's also I'm sure vegans further on the spectrum of like I don't even want to be friends with anybody who's you know um, who's who's consuming animals and, and and or dairy or animal products or whatever and I feel that. You know, I, I can feel and understand where they're coming from. And I can also understand where, you know, vegans who are like, yeah, you know, live and let kill or whatever. Um, <laughs> I Like, I, I can see both. And I'm somewhere, I'm where I am, right? And that's, yeah. I can talk to my experience and say, this is how I felt watching this. Mm-hmm. Or like, you know, the first episode of Moon Knight, for instance. Um, right. But that's, that's that doesn't mean, I'm not telling you how vegans feel about this, you know? Yeah, I mean, we, we literally have... An example of this on the Star Wars ethics pod <laughs> on the Star Wars <laughs> Universe podcast. Uh, I get them mixed up. Where another vegetarian wrote in and had a differing experience of a scene from a Star Wars product than you, and you were able to respond to it. And I think it, for me, it was interesting hearing these two different uh, vegetarian vegan perspectives. Yeah, for sure. Um, and, and that's not necessarily just like vegan versus vegetarian, right? That's just one person yeah, no, saying, like, compared to another person. Two people in the non-meat eat, meat eating world. Yeah, and when I was a vegetarian, I was closer to where I am now than um, than than that person is where they are now. Or, right. Yeah. Um. So I, I want to shift into. Let's talk about some because one, one of the reasons why we're like, yeah, maybe we can like put uh, superhero ethics on a bit of a hiatus or a pause. I, as a One Direction fan, I need to be very careful using the word hiatus because that <laughs> just means ending. I don't mean it's end at all. Um, certainly, Paul and I are not going off on our solo careers. Hey, they um, might get back together and play a show. <laughs> I don't know anything about them, but I was once the camp counselor for one of their paramours. So, anyway. <laughs> I appreciate that. I appreciate that. Um, there's 8 million One Direction songs I want to quote response to that, none of which we'll get. Anyway, Thank you for not. Um, <laughs> Thank you for – There you go. Yeah. I went in a different direction. Mm-hmm. But I think that there's 
one of the things I think that re- reasons why we're sort of like, yeah, maybe we should like take a pause or like look in some new directions. It, uh, so that was <laughs> not even intentional, but is that there are a lot of the same topics that I think we're finding are coming up again and again and again. And that's not a bad thing. I think in some ways that's the whole point of superhero ethics is that it's fascinating how some of these topics continue to be touched on in different ways again and again. But I thought it would be interesting to kind of like reflect on like what are some of those major topics we've looked at again and again. And for me, Paul, I think one of the biggest ones that is kind of at the heart of a lot of things, and it's one where you and I don't always see eye to eye, but I'd be curious to kind of hear your thoughts on is let's start with this idea of a person who feels like they have the either right to or the responsibility to um, basically like break the law to save the, save the society, you know, to like go off and be a vigilante or to do things that the society is going to say you shouldn't do because they need – because it's important to fix something. Um, what's kind of your feeling on like that overall topic and how like talking about it over these years has maybe changed or evolved or just strengthened your views on it? <clears throat> yeah, I would say that's that's basically what we started with, right? We started uh-huh. with like who is your Batman, I think, right? right. And then we recently recorded a couple episodes that um, are – very much in that vein. Yeah. One of which may or may not be about Batman. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And I would say that I'm not sure that like my overall sort of stance has really moved a ton, but I'd say it's, it's deepened and sort of broadened, right. In terms of thinking about things like, you know, community buy-in, Kind of, right? Like, Batman makes a lot more sense if there are kids going around wearing bat suits for Halloween because um, they think he's doing something good. And and, or, you know, Spider-Man makes more sense when everybody on, you know, the seven train, uh, it might not have been a seven train in, in that movie, but like wants to protect him because they believe in him as a hero of the people kind of, right? Right. Whereas, you know, that that's not a thought that I'd really had a whole lot before that. Mm-hmm. Um, and that I, I think I kind of like it got to like episode 100 where, where someone was, was talking about that when we had the like six people were on. And um, mm-hmm. and I was like, yeah, this is this is important. Right. Um, right. But at the same time, it's like, well, you know, a, a community isn't a person. It, it's not a singular entity with one point of view right so so it also comes back to kind of what my my general view on everything always is is that things are complicated and there are always a, a blend of perspectives and i think if you're some sort of vigilante who has zero buy-in from the community well that's that prop that doesn't seem like it's very good you know, yeah. Whereas if you have a significant amount, but there's people who are like, oh, you know, this daredevil, he's really messing up Hell's Kitchen by, you know, causing too much ruckus. It's like, well, that, that's that's different. You know, that's not the same thing. Right. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, I still ultimately basically feel like what makes sense is people trying to take actions that make the world more the way they would like to see the world be. And mm-hmm. when that's when their view of what the world is uh, or what the w- way the world they would like, Oh my goodness, this is a hard sentence to, to create. <laughs> um, 
Um, but yeah, when their vision of how the world should be matches more what my vision of the world should be, I'm going to subjectively say, yeah, I think what they're doing is is good. I think it's creating more value than it's doing harm. Whereas when their vision of of what the world should be is like, you know, something that I'm like, no, no, that's that's a oppressive hellscape. Like, then I'm right. going to be like, yeah, I, I don't think you should be be doing that. And I, I feel like we've gone through so many different kind of instances of that, you know. Um, right. And just to like mention Daredevil, like, you know, Kingpin basically fits everything I just said. Um, yeah. Except, you know, it is often also a combination of methods versus um, you know, there's like, what are you trying to accomplish? And then how are you trying to accomplish it? And the way you're trying to accomplish it, are you betraying what you're trying to accomplish to an extent where you actually can't end up getting what you're aiming for anyway, because right. you've done so much harm along the way? Yeah, I, I think there's so much truth there. And it's it's funny because I, I may have even framed this question this way, but as you were saying it, it came to mind this podcast, I think, was really born more than anything out of the discussions you and I had over the movie Marvel Captain America Civil War mm-hmm. when we realized – and I, to me, the defining conversation was one we had we, – we were at a casino. We went to the food court, which was not vegan at all. I think you had to like just get fries or something like that. Um, and we started a conversation at like 1.30 in the morning and realized that you were Team Cap and I was Team Tony. And we were both kind of surprised at that and had this interesting back and forth. And then like three hours later, we're like, should we go play poker some more? No, let's keep talking. Right. Um, and in many ways, I think that is kind of at the heart and soul of a lot of these conversations. And it's certainly, I think, on this topic. And part of why I love that movie so much is I think that <clears throat> that topic is at the heart and soul of that movie. And I think in a lot of ways, accountability is kind of the – like I've had a similar journey a little bit towards the middle and for me, it's accountability is – and it's kind of similar to what you were saying about the buy-in aspect of that for me because for me, I I am still at the place of – the thing that I'm always concerned about is then we start saying that if a person thinks they should do the right thing and everyone around them says they're wrong, then you know you say you move. And, and my problem is like, well, that's Hitler. That's that's Kingpin. That's all these people throughout history who have said like, I am so certain in my convictions that I'm not going to listen to anybody else and I'm going to therefore like – so what I do is justified. And I, I think what you and others have helped me kind of more rightly point out though is that like if the flip side is therefore to put the – the onus in institutions and systems, and in many ways watching The Wire was a good wake up for me on this. Like, even though those are made up of individuals and they can be more democratic, they can still be just as broken and just as terrible. And to me, it, it's funny that like I don't want to hold up Arrowverse as like the the pinnacle of ethical super me- superhero media. It's got a lot of problems, both like ethically and also just wow, some writing issues. Um, though some of it's very very good. But I think the thing that that show, that all the shows in the Arrowverse kind of demonstrate to me is that even when you go it alone, or that's the whole point, that, that all of those characters wind up starting off going it alone and then wind up having a community of accountability around them. Mm-hmm. And that that's, to me, is kind of the flip side of the buy-in thing you're saying, is that to me what's most important is – because I think like someone like Kingpin – where he really goes wrong is not just his methods, but it's that he thinks he knows what's right for people. It's that he never asks the people, is this what you want? Is this what's right for you? 
And I think in many ways, some of the Batman stories I most love is where he is paying attention. He is listening to people talk about what they want Gotham to be and how Gotham can be better and things like that. And I think that's where it's the it's the like, are people holding you as an individual accountable? But also when you're deciding what other people want and what is best for them, how much are you listening to those other people in that discussion? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, the thing in Civil War, there's there's two two big points I want to make. One mm-hmm. is that um, to me, it, it kind of reinforced the idea that really concrete thinking is kind of the only way that I ever want to make decisions mm-hmm. where for me, the like if you actually look at the details of exactly what's happening in that movie, I feel like we, we kind of got around to the point where you were sort of like, well, I don't actually I'm not team Tony in the way that like you want things. You don't want Secretary Ross to just run the Avengers. Right. Right. Like it's it's not like they had a good situation. <laughs> it's like they did need some accountability. Right. Particularly right. Tony, who, you know, created Ultron and then created yeah. Vision and somehow got lucky. And the only person he got any buy in from was was Bruce, who he was like he knew would co-sign kind of anything that he twisted his arm to. Right. And who then later, like, I think one thing is often forgotten about that movie is people are like, how can you be team Tony? Tony was blaming Bucky. And I think for me, the Tony, team Tony, team Cap is specifically the middle part of that movie when they're discussing should there be Sokovia Accords or something like that. Right. I think the fact that in the the last act of the movie, Tony becomes so focused on his rage about his parents' death, a lot of which is his own guilt because of his uh, his his own feelings of guilt or loss or regret because of his relationship with his father, that he focuses on, I have to find Bucky, I have to beat Bucky, I have to kill Bucky, I have to punish Bucky, that he won't look at the facts. That is, to me, the perfect example of why an individual like Tony shouldn't be the one deciding who gets to mete out justice on that. So, um, just kind of interjecting there, but yeah, keep yeah. go on. Yeah, and, you know, on top of that, though, Tony's not even team Tony. Like he he literally goes against the the accords like immediately, right? Yes. Like within the same movie. So yeah. So it, you know it, it's um it it's interesting in that way. And similarly, like it is team Cap, right? Right. It's not one man against the world. He's saying you move. But there's a chorus behind him echoing that. And you could say, like, yes, but he's Captain America. And so he should understand that he has all this influence. And thus people are going to, you know, follow him. Um, whether or not he's – whether or not they're really thinking about whether he's right. Um, right. And I, I think that's true to some extent for, for Sam maybe. You know, he's kind of like, you know, it's your call. Like, I'm, I go where you go. Right. Um, <clears throat> you know, and Bucky's like, even, well, I would like them to not kill me, you know. Yeah. <laughs> but, but then – But it isn't even Cap who says you move. It's Agent – it's the uh, Sharon Carter. Oh, in the movie she's quoting yeah. um, her <clears throat> aunt – Peggy. Yeah, exactly. Who is quoting Cap from the comic book. But yes. Also true. Yes. And she turns out to be a bad guy maybe, in, but that's whole Right. Oh, jeez. Oh, okay. Okay. <laughs> anyway, um, the, the – but so I do think it matters that it's team Cap to some extent yep. aside from Cap, right? Um, but also like in terms of buy-in, like Hitler had buy-in, you know? Yeah. And that's also the true. thing. That's the scary thing is it's like – People acting alone can do horrible things. People acting in groups 
can do horrible things on a larger scale. But similarly, people acting alone can do great things that create a lot of value for those around them. And people acting in groups can create more value for each other and for people Mm -hmm. around them, right? And so to me, it's less about whether something's a group or an individual. And it's more, you know, the group provides amplitude. And the question is kind of, is this buy-in organic or is it? Mm-hmm. You know, perhaps coerced, perhaps some amount of conditioning, right? Yeah, not like <clears throat> hydra, not, not hydra conditioning, but like manufactured consent, right? Yeah, if if you get everyone to if if everyone is very afraid and therefore they consent to letting you have power to keep them safe, and they're afraid because you either manipulated and exploited things for them to be afraid of or created the thing for them to be afraid of, then yeah, that's, that is buy-in of a sort, but it's by no means, you know, informed consent. Right. And I, I think there's another point that you made there, at least if I understand, or maybe I'm going to make a completely different point that you're trying to make. We'll see. But um, I've always seen that one of the goals of this podcast is to be able to say, like, this movie raises this particular discussion. But now let's... Like yes, we're arguing team tap, team cat, team tap or team Coney, team tap, <laughs> team cap or team Tony. Yeah. But what, what we're trying to do is get at the heart of the issues of that question itself. Because I think what too often will happen is people will be like, you'll try to make a larger philosophical argument, and they're like, oh no, but actually, but this exact detail happened, so that it's like, well, no movie, no one story is the perfect, um, you know, raising up of this issue. Instead, what, what I think is really interesting is to say, okay, yeah. This question of who gets to decide when it's okay to break the law and when it's okay to use violence in order to try and make the world a better place, that's an interesting question that lots of these lots of these different movies and TV shows and books and video games wrestle with. And so let's use that movie as the jumping off point, but then let's not get so lost in the details that we're not able to address the general question itself. Yeah, and I think that's where we differ yeah, to a to a good extent, right? Where I agree with you in terms of seeing the story and then saying, okay, we can talk about this outside of the story as well. But to me, I'm I'm just so detail oriented. I'm like I just believe that context always matters and that the concrete you know circumstances of the situation are gonna. Like almost every question, almost everything that you'd say, is this or that ethical? I'm almost always going to come down on the side of it depends. Give me the details, right? Tell me the situation and I'll tell you, you know, you give me the trolley problem and like, who are, who's that one person and who are those five people? You know, I want to know that. And like, you know, maybe I don't want to know that just in terms of like, oh, well, these are their their genders and races and, you know, these people look poor and this person looks well off. And like maybe then I'm like, oh, I, I don't want that information, <laughs> you know, because yeah. I don't want to make the decision based on that. But like, you know, I, I'm not I'm not a big fan of, of such hypotheticals in the first place. Um, and I'm like, can I can I break the trolley? I want to break the trolley. <laughs> Right. Let me just try and drive it off the tracks. Um, and, and I think we may – I may have misspoken because I think we're actually okay. more agreement than, than you think because I'm not – I think my more point is that I, I think 
I'm trying to, I'm thinking of the, the kind of some of the stuff I learned, you know, in, in, with where you look at like uh, scientific method or but also just like ways of like having conversations of like specific example, take into general principle, go back to specific example and like keep those things like rolling around. You right. Know? It's not that I think the details aren't specific. It's that I think that you can say, OK, here's the general principle that Tony is arguing from and – what I'm more objecting is the folks who say, okay, but no, but because this specific detail happens, therefore the whole argument of Tony is always and forever wrong. You know, instead yeah. of being on the standard, like, yeah, the, because, because I think you're right. That's the whole point is I think to have an argument that is – if I just say let's argue about should a person be able to break the law because they think the law is wrong, I don't think there's any meaning to having that conversation outside of context. I think the whole point is to say, yeah – I want to have that conversation and only make sense in context. So let's have it have that discussion in the context of Civil War. Right. And then let's have the same conversation in context of Batman. And then the same conversation in context with V for Vendetta and talk about how the details of those things change like how do the details of each of those situations make it different and what does that tell us about the general question it about the question in general. Does that does that make more sense? It does. Yeah. Um and so, you know, we agree for the most part, yeah. right? I do think that um I pay a lot of attention to details in a lot of things and mm-hmm. if I am going to err, I'm going to likely err on the side of being too specific and maybe ignoring some overarching principles. And I yep. think in general, you're often looking to kind of distill things to more general concepts. And if you're going to err, you're going to err more on the side of overlooking some details because yeah, you're you're looking more for the big picture. And that's one of the reasons I, I think we, you know, if I'll say so myself, have very good conversations. Yeah. <laughs> because, I like, think- I think having those that kind of tension, right? Forests, trees, forests, trees. But, like, in the middle somewhere finding, like, okay, let's let's talk about both. That should be the name of whatever podcast we do next. Forest trees. Forest, forest, forest trees. trees. <laughs> I will say that I appreciate that we both often do seem to agree that the exact names of things, if it's not actual characters, can be forgotten. We're both. I'm much worse about it than you are, but um, yeah, the, I, the number of. Go ahead. Oh, I, I was just going to say, I, a lot of times I'll be very specific about um, names of things, but right. uh, you know, sometimes there's there's characters often. In, in a lot of, um, you know, on-screen stories mm-hmm. that have names in the credits but are not right. necessarily named in the show, you know. And and then people uh, online will be like, oh, so-and-so. I'm like, who is that? And then I look it up. I'm yeah. like, okay, now I have to go to the IMDb page, see this actor's <laughs> face. Oh, that dude. Yeah, okay. I know who you're talking about. <laughs> I think I told you that the proudest piece of feedback I've ever gotten was the one star review because we didn't know the name in a Star Wars review of a particular of the <clears throat> the beast that um I think it was that Mando was fighting in the cave, which is something that's never actually I don't think it's named in the episode. Oh yeah, uh, yeah, it was something like it, it, no, because it, it was a skeleton that people saw. It was a skeleton of a crate dragon, and there was crate dragon are not spoken in any way in that piece of media. Um, yeah, yeah, like entirely. I don't, I don't care that much about that. If I'd read the books, I might care about it a lot, you know. Yeah, but like, if that thing isn't in the thing, like, I don't, I don't feel like that name adds a whole lot to the conversation. Right. Yeah, and I think that's also part of the whole point is like figuring out what are the details that are relevant to this. And sometimes that is 
there are details that I don't think are relevant that because someone else has a different perspective, they do think are relevant. And that's where we can listen to each other. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I'm I'm like always going to try to get like actors names right. You know, yeah, I wish on on like IMDb, there was just a clip of like every actor saying their name. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, I want to hear yeah. how someone says their name, you know. Honestly, that's a point that I'd never really thought of until you brought it up. And I, to me, especially, it came it came to pass when we were talking about the movie. I, mean, I hope I'm remembering the the right way to pronounce it, Shun Lee, because I remember like it was really important to you that we that we know how to pronounce that name and also the names of the people involved. Because I think it, one thing that helped point out for me is that like a big part of kind of like you know the the erasure of other cultures is the sort of like, oh, okay, well, I'm going to make a little joke about how I'll never pronounce that person's name right. Because, like, you're sort of being self-deprecating, but you're also just kind of, you're further otherizing and, and like, making a joke out of the idea. Like, no, it's important to understand how other people's names are pronounced and to pronounce them properly. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I'm, I've definitely heard Chun-Li, which is a Street Fighter character, played by um, Ming-Na Wen. Um, but I, I'm pretty sure you were saying Shang Chi. Yes, I was. Yeah, yeah. So, so I think you've you've underscored your point. <laughs> um, yes. No. I'm a just very. Uh, yeah. Um. <laughs> um, but but yeah, th- th- and it's. I mean, it's it's funny because like um, some names you're gonna have an assumption. I mean, like Spider Man. You're like, okay, I guess it's pronounced Spider Man. You know, right? I mean, maybe it's like Spider Man, like depending on where you're from, from or whatever. Mm-hmm. But like, but like, yeah. I mean, my last name. Oh, jeez. And maybe I'm a little more sensitive to this because you know, um, I, I while I don't come from a family of you know recent immigrants to the United States, like mm-hmm. my last name is German and. In in German, my name would be like Paul Hoppe, you know, and, right. and like, but people are always like Mister Hope, you know, <laughs> is it <laughs> is it Hope or Hoppe? And I'm like, no, yeah. <laughs> you know, or if they hear me pronounce it, they spell it wrong. So you know, just like growing up, like I had this, you know, even though I don't have the same feeling of like being othered by people getting my name wrong, right? Mm-hmm. And like that's that's very much a difference. Um, I do have a sensitivity to it, and like I feel like you know, so like my experience helps me understand how a similar experience um, can can feel, but then also have this additional layer that that I don't have. Yeah. Um, and exactly. yeah, so so yeah, you know, I mean, it, I I like trying to pronounce people's names the way they pronounce them. Um, it doesn't mean you're always going to be able to get it exactly right, right? Because like right. names in different languages have different phonemes, and and you know, Simu Liu like pronounces his name Simu Liu, right? Which is not the way it's pronounced in in Mandarin. It's like Liu Simu, like. Mm-hmm. Is, is how it's pronounced in Mandarin, but he doesn't say it that way, right? So I'm going to say it the way he says it in English if I'm speaking English and, you know. Right. Um, but I will say that in the Shang-Chi uh, episode we did, I'm pretty sure I butchered his name repeatedly because I hadn't <laughs> found exactly the place, um, yeah. you, know, to, to print it, you know, to learn how to pronounce sure. it right. Yeah, no, I think it's really, really good points there. I, I, another one of the I think kind of core issues that we often come up with, and I don't want to let you you tell me one or two you think of, but is the idea of the legitimate or illegitimate use of violence. Mm. And, and I think very tied to that is the idea of being able to choose what level of violence you do or don't use. And 
you and I have both had kind of serious but also kind of joking conversations about like the degree to which a person can decide I'm going to use violence but not be lethal about it. Right. But I'm kind of curious, kind of like let's have that same analysis about this whole topic of when we choose to use violence and when 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 we choose to be lethal in the use of violence. Yeah, I mean, that's definitely something we've talked about a lot, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, I would <laughs> I would start at, at point two by by challenging the word legitimate, you know, mm-hmm. um, and saying like, you know, and we could have a whole conversation about like, well, what do you mean by legitimate? You know, for me, right. I'll, I'll kind of short circuit that and maybe say I will interpret that as um, reasonable, you know, mm-hmm. like a reasonable action that I'm like, yeah, that seems like a reasonable thing for that person to do. And again, I think it's complicated and, you know, the the context matters. And I think the biggest question is really um, power, right? Right. Like there's there's this image of of Pedro Martinez, like throwing Don Zimmer to the ground in Mm -hmm. the I think it was like 2003 American League Championship Series um, when, you know, the Yankees stormed to the mound and and Don Zimmer, who was for some context, was about like 70 ish at the time, is charging this, you know, in his prime athlete or maybe slightly post prime. Um, Mm -hmm. And and Pedro just like flips him to the ground and people are like, oh, how could you do that? I'm like, well, he didn't punch him in the face, you know, and and to me, that's that's the thing is like, yeah, if if somebody who I perceive as not being not carrying a serious threat to me attacks me unarmed, like Mm -hmm. I'm not going to hit them hard, you know? Whereas if someone who is very physically threatening comes at me, I'm going to use a, a, a different approach to, to how I respond to that, you know? Right. And I think that's reasonable. I think that's, I think there has to be some understanding for like, yeah, if someone just comes at you, I mean, you know, I, I've, I've hit people in the head in just reaction when somebody like is like, oh, I'm going to, I'm going to poke you from behind or I'm going to like pretend like I'm punching you. And it's like, Sorry, but like, don't do that, you know? And, and so like, there is a a sense of like, well, some of it is just going to be split second reaction, right? But if you are somebody who is often going to be in situations like that, you absolutely have to have training that puts you, that, that designs you to like, not respond with lethal violence to, you know, very unlikely to be lethal to like non-serious attacks or to things that are maybe perceived as threatening, but aren't even attacks at all. Right. Right. I mean, one thing I think that has been very well documented, and I'm sure I probably even have some degree of this, though I've always tried to unpack it, is that like, just to give one example, when you said like, you know, if you do perceive this to be a serious threat or not, that something like, for example, skin color has a drastic effect in how much people do or don't perceive a threat. And that like, you know, in studies they'll do like, they'll have like, you know, a picture of a white person in a pose that could be threatening and then a picture of a black person. And often it's like two pictures out of like 20 or whatever. But that consistently people, even though they're the exact same pose and everything about it is the same, the person of color will be perceived to be far more of a threat. And, like, there are efforts, you know, like – and, and often it's, like, cops and people like right, that who have yeah. the, the, the highest degree of that. Yeah, I think that's – I think that that's the, one thing that I think that – Can uh, I just respond to that very quickly? Go for it, yeah. And so that's, like, on average. That's in general. Um, and you're talking about implicit bias, basically. Yes. Right? And, and there are actually tests for implicit bias. Like, that's a thing. Right. You know, and, I mean, I've, I've taken them. And, like – 
mm-hmm. some people have a lot of it. Some people have none or some people might even have the, the opposite, you know, and uh, like the opposite of what is is commonly projected right. in media or like what most people are going to have in terms of bias. And I think there's value to those tests in terms of like both in terms of yourself, like like you don't need to judge yourself if you have. Um, implicit bias. Like if you have implicit bias, it's probably because you've been bombarded by, you know, essentially by propaganda to make you see things in a certain way. But if you know that you have that bias, then you can work to resolve it over time. And probably, and, and if you are, you know, someone who's carrying a gun for a living, you should (laughs) definitely like, you should have to do that. Right. And there should be training for countering that and not just like sitting around talking about things, but like, I think there are more productive ways of trying to address that. Yeah. And then it, it, not only that it's an individual responsibility, but also the, yeah, that, that, um, and I think this is kind of one of the core questions we often discuss of, like, you know, if we should have this. But right now, we live in a society where the government – and this is kind of what I was getting at with the, with the idea of the legit – the phrase the legitimate use of violence is one that comes from political science. Right. And it's the – and it is, it is the idea that, like, a government gets to mandate that, you know, for example, police and military get – they have the right to exercise a legitimate use of violence that most other citizens do not. Yeah, and and to be clear, when I said I'm contesting that word, it's because I reject that um, claim on behalf. Totally of Totally understood. Yeah. Totally understood. And and yeah, so I think that one of the things that's often then discussed is well, if that has to be true, and then there's another discussion we right. have in this podcast of should it be true? Of course. But is like, could we at least have him like that? You yeah. have to have a certain limit on the implicit bias you have before the state will say, "Cool, we're going to give you a gun and let you go out and decide what is or isn't a lethal threat." Right. Exactly. If you're going to do this thing that we're not sure you should even be doing, at least do it right. this way. Right. Yeah. I, th- I think one of the things – for me, I think this this topic may be that I've moved a lot more than you have. I'm not sure. But I know that around the t- – I think I'd always started to move off of this. But around the time I started this podcast, there was a part of me that was still very dedicated to a sort of – an idea that like nonviolent resistance is always going to be better. Mm. And I don't even just mean on an individual level but in terms of that like – Using violence to fight for political freedom is is always going to be somewhat problematic because then you're you you are enacting your freedom by you know you coercing others into into that. So is that inherently contradictory or stuff like that? And I think that not just because this this podcast has sort of tracked that evolution, but probably been a part of that evolution. That's an area in which I think I've changed the most. Mm-hmm. Where and and for me, it's I've come to two differing but but related conclusions the first of which is that most of the people who i really heroize for their use of nonviolence, martin luther king especially but even gandhi well uh gandhi maybe is a little bit different but martin luther king especially for them nonviolence is a tactic it is not a philosophy hmm. like there's a lot of his of his of Martin Luther King's work that is philosophical, but like as people have pointed out, you know, he was happy to have men with guns to protect him. Right. It was for him and to protect his family. It's that he saw nonviolence as a politically viable strategy in a world where public opinion could really matter, and where most of the guns were on the side of those who were trying to oppress him and his and and, and other African Americans, black people in the South at the time, uh, or all the people he would talk about. 
And I think I used to be somewhat of a purist on that idea. And I think a lot of things have helped to change my mind about that. And in some ways, I think, uh, and I still have some feelings about the sort of <clears throat> the problems of it being the people who use violence to stop oppression now becoming the new people in power. And that's why I think V for Vendetta is such a good movie. Um, and I'll name the second, but then we can maybe discuss them each separately. And the second big change I think for me has come, and this is an area where I know you and I don't fully agree, is that there are situations where I would look at it and I would say, I don't think that the oppression that is happening here is what I would think of as reasonable to justify the kind of violence that you are that people are choosing to enact in response to it. But that I also want to recognize that as someone who is not dealing with that oppression, not that I think that it makes my voice invalid on the topic, but that I have to give account for the fact that it is very likely that I don't truly understand just how oppressive the situation is, or that it is easier for me to say, well, could there be other ways to dealing with it other than violence, because I'm not the one personally experiencing that oppression. Um... And so I think it's where I, I've come to is that I'm a place of like, you know, like I think you could go all – like to me, the opposite end of where I used to be is the kind of like Killmonger was right, Killmonger was the hero. And I'm not quite there, but I'm certainly a lot closer. Mm. And I'm kind of curious for you, Paul, um, if you want to talk about which one or one of those two perspectives uh, or both of them or kind of just going off on a tangent up to you, but kind of where you stand in regard to the things I'm bringing up. Yeah. Well, so first of all, you you want to do a whole nother podcast on that and, and I'll just talk <laughs> for an hour and then you talk for another hour. <laughs> no. Yeah. Um, there's so much we can say there. It's Yeah. I mean, that's, that's fertile ground. I, I will start by saying um, I have never been a pure pacifist at all. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, I studied violence and I taught violence for, over a decade each, um, right. by which I mean, you know, I, I trained in martial arts and I didn't, I mean, we hit each other, you know, right. as part of the practice, like, you know, we would make each other bleed from time to time. And the purpose was in theory, largely, um, at least partially learning self-defense, right? If somebody tries to do violence to me or someone else, um, you know, that, that I, <laughs> Somebody else, you know, I don't want to use the word innocent, but like someone else is being attacked. I, I right. am willing to use violence to stop that violence. Right? right. And I do want to try and be somewhat proportional in terms of like, yeah, I'm not going to try and kill someone with, you know, with some kids trying to beat up another kid. Like, I'm probably just going to grab them or whatever. Right. But like right. my point being, like, I've always seen violence as an acceptable response to violence um, mm -hmm. because I think there is often... Um, like, I think sometimes that's the only way you can stop the violence is through right. violence. Uh, I do understand that that can lead to a, a cycle of, you know, self-perpetuating violence, basically. Right. Mm -hmm. um, and um, I would say that the the kind of overarching principle that that I start from is that uh, if there is a way to resolve something without violence, then I'm always going to prefer that method. You know, right. I think the only real justification for violence is that there is harm being done directly or um, being threatened. 
right? Generally through violence. Um, and, and sometimes this is going to be economic violence that is enforced by the threat of physical violence, right? Right. Um, or it can be, you know, you could say emotional violence that is able to be um, applied because of the threat of, of physical violence or, or something like this. Mm-hmm. Um, but so I, I think on the first point, like I would say to me, it's about, um, you know, sort of the distribution of power. And mm-hmm. um, is there another way to to stop this violence or this oppression? And the trouble is that you don't always know, right? Right. A lot of the nonviolent solutions, these are these are hopes that something might work, uh, but you don't know. And so you can't tell someone, no, 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 don't respond to this violence or this oppression through violence because there's this other way that will definitely work. You don't know it will definitely work. I think it's reasonable to say, let's try this first. Give me maybe this much time or whatever, and if that doesn't work, you know, then yeah, for, <laughs> then we for go every to success, this, for every success that nonviolence resistance had in the civil rights movement or other movements at the time, and there's fair arguments we made about like how successful were they, there certainly were nonviolent protests that were just, you know, Tiananmen Square was a nonviolent protest that was ended through violence and certainly was not it did not turn out to be a winning strategy by any means. Right, right. Yeah. People people just get murdered sometimes, right, when they're doing a nonviolent protest. And the I, I would say that an individual saying, I am a pacifist and I want to resist this without violence, I think is mm-hmm. is very noble and is a worthwhile thing for that person to do. And to say, right. join with me and let's resist this through nonviolence. I think, uh, or through pacifistic means, I think is a great thing to do. But I think there's a difference between saying, let's do this compared to scolding people for, you know, violently rebelling, basically. Yeah. Right. That's the difference. And and to me, it's like, no, I'm definitely not going to scold someone for violent rebellion when, um, when they're oppressed in a way that I am not. And I don't, you know, I don't buy the like, can't understand, but like, Mm -hmm. can't, haven't experienced and thus can only seek to understand. Right. Yeah. And, and, and like, I don't think anybody understands it perfectly. Right. Because particularly when we're talking about systemic oppression, it's like, this is a large system that involves a lot of people, including some of the people who are oppressed themselves, oppressing another group of people or even groups of people, which are comprised of individuals who don't all feel it the same way. Right. And so it's just ultimately it's very complicated. And so, you know, I do think you can see like someone does one thing and then someone else responds in another way because they're like, well, I felt this. And and you can be like, whoa, that's, that seems way out of line, you know, mm-hmm. but like that's that's as far as I can go It's like, well, that seems way out of line. And, and you know, did you try doing this? But like as far as like scolding people like, oh, that, you know, they shouldn't be burning this down or whatever. It's like, no. Yeah, I, I think that's a really good way to put it, especially. In, and to me, that also ties back into that idea of the difference between strategy and kind of philosophy, mm-hmm. you know, because I think that like. <clears throat> If I am part of a group of activists who have all decided that, like, we, you know, let's say we're all a bunch of, like, disabled activists who all come together to talk about, like, 
uh, a public theater that like isn't wheelchair accessible, you know, and we are all like, you know, we're at a protest. We're all upset about things and a cop gets in our face and one of my colleagues like tries to run that cop over with his wheelchair. If someone else who's not part of our group says like, oh, how could you possibly do that? Like, you know, it's not worth being that angry about. I'm probably going to be like, yo, you don't know what this is like. You have no idea how frustrating and painful and oppressive this is. Shut the hell up. If I'm later then talking with my friend, I might be like, hey, look, I get your anger. I have the same urge. Right now, all the stories that we wanted to talk about are not on the front page. Instead, it's of you trying to hit a cop with your wheelchair. And, like, and that gets into all sorts of tone policing stuff. And I'm not uh, – what, what I'm kind of saying is like the difference between tone policing versus a group internally discussing what is or is not a good strategy. You know, And that's, I think um, – that, that example I think actually gets into some – because I probably would be like, no, no, hit the cop. But, um, um, <laughs> but the point like, is, is the idea of like being like, you know – as opposed to having some big open discussion about, you know, you right. shouldn't have done this or you should do this as opposed to being like, hey, let's let's talk about like, you know, is this our approach? You know, are are we trying to have a unified approach together, you know, yeah. or are we just kind of like doing things ourselves, you know? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I think it's been interesting as well because this is a topic that like, you know, BLM has been a thing for – since before this podcast started and I mean like police brutality and, and military brutality and it de- directed towards oppressed populations. I mean that's been a thing for thousands and thousands of years. But there's certainly been a lot more attention paid to it in the last couple of years. And just in that regard, it's been really fascinating to me. And I, I like this podcast has been a, a part of tracking that. I'm just seeing like how – like even with like – and this was – from a while ago, we discussed the difference between like the Sylvester Stallone version of Judge Dredd versus the movie Dredd with Carl Urban. That's that we have a podcast on it coming out in just a week or two. And even then, we were talking about how like society's views on some of these questions have changed a lot. And I think that's been um, as we look at this topic of violence. Like, I, I think it's interesting. Think to me, one of the things I really appreciated about the, the journey we've gone on is just that we're kind of tracking as our whole society is going on journeys. And I, I like. I certainly think that the Overton window of, well, a cop believed that violence was necessary, therefore violence was necessary, has shifted quite a bit, as has the idea of, well, these people are fighting back. They should just be doing nonviolent resistance. That has also shifted a good deal. Yeah, particularly in terms of the, you know, network television conversation and, um, you know, the the population at large, right? Right. I mean, obviously, there have for a long time been conversations about such things, but but they've it, the the discussion has certainly um, gotten broader. It's mm-hmm. gotten heard by more people. I would say, right, is is almost the and, biggest and- thing. Like, I look at something like um, <clears throat> Falcon the Winter Soldier, and I know that, like, we both had <clears throat> a lot of good feelings about the Flag Smasher group at the beginning. Towards the end, I think they really went in some bad directions. I think you've been stronger feelings than I did. But I don't know if, like, if that show was made 10 years ago, I don't know if we would have ever started with sympathy for the Flag Smashers, you know? Yeah, I mean, you mean in terms of would the, would the show have started with sympathy for them? Would, would the story have, like... At least as I interpreted it, the story was told originally in a way that had a lot of sympathy for the motivations, if yeah. not necessarily the actions of the Flag Smashers. Right. <clears throat> yeah, I think that is a story that is easier to tell in that way 
in 2020 or 2021, whenever it came out, mm-hmm. um, than it was to tell a story like that um, in 2010, for sure. Right. 100%. Now, now, the last part of this, I think, is one that we've probably covered to death. And as you said, we've mostly joked about it, but we've talked some seriousness about it, too. But I'm just wondering if you kind of have any kind of like... <clears throat> summation of thoughts or sort of how your feeling has changed or just kind of thought more about it in terms of this idea of the large number of characters in the stories we talk about who make the claim that you can use violence without it being lethal and who like they're dedicated to I will use violence but I won't kill yeah I mean in reality you can't and in comics you can you know and so to me the comic book idea of comic book violence that is non-lethal is kind of aspirational. Yeah. You know, it's kind of, it's not a realistic portrayal of how things work in our world. Right. But I think it's, Hey, if we can do whatever kind of violence without it being lethal, that is better than doing lethal violence. Like almost like basically objectively. Right. Um, And I think it's a little bit of both ways. Right. Where it's like, Mm -hmm. I think that's great. And I love my heroes who subscribe to that, you know, like like Batman or Daredevil, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, but I also love my antiheroes like Dexter who are just like, no, I'm just they're just going to be dead and, you know, (laughs) in little bags at the at the, you know, um, outside Miami in the water um which i'm not i'm not advocating doing that i'm just saying you know i enjoy those stories i i think there is in terms of both ways there is a a potential danger of people seeing comic book violence and thinking that they can then engage in said violence without any risk of death right right i mean I, i think that's that's an issue you know whereas like you'll see a murder mystery and someone will hit someone on the back of the head with a pipe and they're just dead you know yeah, And it's like, that can happen. I think, statistically, that's probably an unlikely outcome, that you hit someone on the back of the head one time and they're dead. Um, mm-hmm. But it's a possibility, right? The same way yeah. you can punch someone in the chest really hard and they can die, but they probably won't, right? That's yeah, I mean, I, I'm guessing at the Taekwondo studio you had to run, like all of them, people have to sign waivers because, like, I, I'm sure this is incredibly rare and there's lots of steps you can take it, but, like... I, I, I do not know this for a fact, but I would be amazed if there hasn't been at least one incident of someone doing martial arts training of some kind and dying. Oh, of it's course. The exact wrong set of coincidences happens. Yeah. You know, set of set of uh, events happens. Right. Exactly. There's <laughs> – I mean, yeah, there there definitely is a waiver that's like you, you agree to hold us – uh, to not hold the school or its, you know, members or teachers responsible for injury or harm, including death, be it like be it intent, uh, intentional or unintentional. <laughs> it's like basically it. like we can hurt you as much as we want and you can't sue us, <laughs> except you probably can because you could probably argue this is a ridiculous clause to part in something. <laughs> but that is a that is a very standard clause. The same way you go to a hospital and they're like, yeah, you agreed not to hold us responsible in the event of your yeah. death. But it's like you can still sue them for malpractice, right? Um, when I played rugby in college, I had to sign the exact same waiver because there right. have been people who've died playing college sports or high school sports or anything like that. Yeah, and my teacher used to say like, you know, when we would do competition class and he'd be like 
he'd be like, yeah, you know, it's it's a competition. Like, you're not going to die. And then he's like, well, if you're in the black belt decision, division, you might die, but you probably won't. <laughs> and like, you know, but it's true. It's like, yeah, when when your aim is to hit someone in the head really hard, you know, yeah, you're wearing a helmet and foot gear. But the helmet used to say, like, the helmet isn't to protect your head from getting hit. It's so when you get knocked out and hit your head, you don't die. You know, you yeah. don't hit your head on the floor as hard and, and split your, your your skull open. And like, yeah, so so there is there is a, a real risk of of serious injury um, or, or death. And it's not a high risk. Right. I never saw anyone die in the Taekwondo school. I did hear teachers Tell this this one uh, master instructor came in talking about you know the business of running things and how you have to get them to sign the waiver and like you have to pay attention when they're doing you know jumping jacks in the warm up when they're a new student and he's like I had this one guy drop dead in the middle of the, I'm like what um, and I don't know whether that was a true story or not but like it certainly happened somewhere you know yeah and and so yeah you know the idea that violence can be necessarily non-lethal is false but right. the the fact is that it can be dramatically less lethal less likely you know there is violence that can be aimed not with the intention of causing death and be very right. unlikely to cause death but still you know if it's in a, a real fight and it's you know there's multiple uh, attackers uh, like you know you're probably not going to be able to be like oh yeah let me dial it down to 90 percent, right it's like yeah. everything's probably usually going to be full force and you know that's that's where the you know yeah like captain america apparently in the comics it, it's discussed that like he's always holding back you know, the way Superman's always holding back, like never hitting every, anybody full force. Whereas John Walker doesn't have that gear, doesn't know to do that or doesn't care to do that. And so he just immediately right. kills someone by hitting them. Right. right. Um, or was that Carly? <laughs> Carly killed someone by hitting them immediately. And then John Walker got mad. OK, spoilers for Falcon and the Winter Soldier. <laughs> no, I think you're so right. I, I think I think you also put your hit your. I think you're so right. I think you also really put the finger on why this is an important conversation beyond just it being kind of like a funny thing or something to point out being a little ridiculous because, yeah, like I I think these stories are a small part of shaping like public opinion and, and zeitgeist and all this kind of stuff. And this is not like stop the video games. They're dangerous. I'm never going to ask for these movies to be stopped by any means. But I do think that like I think that – when violence is portrayed – there's two problems I sometimes have with the portrayal of violence in, in movies and TV shows. And one of which is when it's portrayed as like, oh, yeah, there's no problem with being totally non-lethal. And not even non-lethal, but also that like there's no lasting consequence. Like yeah. if you hit someone with a head with a metal pipe, sure, the chances you kill them may not be 100 percent by any means, maybe even under 30 or whatever. But the chance that you give them a concussion that could have lasting effects you know, yeah. is certainly there. That you like use non-lethal force to – knock them to the ground and they fall and break their wrist in a way that their hand control is never the same. Like there's all these effects. Yeah. I mean, I took four and, students to the hospital over the course of a year, you know, to the, to the yeah. emergency room. And two of them had some sort of permanent damage and two of them were pretty much fine, you know, yeah. but I, I have a finger on my left hand that I dislocated playing rugby and my, it will never quite be the same. And I have a little bit of issue playing guitar with it. Right. It. Like it's not a huge deal. I'm so glad I played rugby, but it's a lifelong effect. Yeah. Um, and, and so, to me, I think I'm always a little critical of of shows that don't do that, 
And the other thing is, and here this is weird, because for me, I don't like gore. I don't mm. like seeing blood and guts, especially when it feels, like, gratuitous. Right. But the flip side is, I don't like when violence is portrayed as, like, clean and neat. Yeah. You know? And I found that, like, as hard as it is, I've come to appreciate when, like, yeah, like, you throw it, uh, a piece of metal at someone at a very high speed, it doesn't just knock them to the floor. Like, there's a gash in their head. There's probably a lot of bleeding. And, like... um it's something I still struggle with as a fan because I don't want the gore necessarily, but I do – like, it, it was always very interesting to me that, like, in Marvel, the movies, which are PG and PG-13, the depiction of violence is much more sanitized versus Netflix where, you know, when, like, you know, Kingpin, like, knocks someone's head off with a car door, you hear this incredibly uncomfortable sound that haunted me for a mm-hmm. long time afterwards. Yeah. But, like – good right yeah it's like the sanitized version isn't really better right it's like that's that's painting it's it's a lie and i i think when it comes to things like gore you know is uh, the word gore often to me implies um a sort of gratuity to you know a gratuitousness Mm -hmm. to it of like we are showing this for the effect, you know, for the shock value. So someone goes, oh, you know, and like if yeah. that's the main purpose, like, no, thanks. You know, right. whereas if it's like, no, we're just going to show this probably as it's going to be, but we're not going to linger on it. You know, we're, we're not going to show five disembowelments, you know, <laughs> we'll just show <laughs> the first one, one and be like, OK, now we'll cut to the crowd reactions, you know. Right. Um, and th- that's one thing that I'll say I felt like Andor did an interesting job of. Um, Mm. at the risk of talking about Andor yet again. Uh, There were a lot of things where there was was violence that was referred to, but wasn't Mm -hmm. showed graphically in the same way, right? Maybe you saw someone's feet um, instead of seeing, you know, seeing them them hanging um, full, you know, like with uh, on their face or whatever, right? And at the same time, I don't feel like the show was trying to sanitize these things, I think it was just like we don't need to show you all of the, um, you know, a, a lot of blood and guts or anything for you to right. to get the effect, right? To understand what's going on, um, and so so I think sometimes it's like what you show and what you don't show. You, th- there's there's an element of art to that, right? Where you can make sure it's clear that something is lethal, um, that something is painful in a particular way without being as explicit, but that that lack of explicitness isn't a way of kind of dancing around it. It's right. just a, a particular way of, of portraying it. Right. And, and certainly, I mean, like, I have 8 million problems with how, like, Hollywood and the government decides what ages should or shouldn't be able to watch things. Yeah. But on a fundamental level, I am bothered by the idea that you can show kids violence. You just can't show kids the consequences of violence. Yeah, that seems very bad. <laughs> just objectively, <laughs> just like, what are we doing here? <laughs> you know? Yeah. And then in terms of subjective, like, I think what you and I are talking about is both kind of what we think is, you know, the the better thing to do, but also just, like, what we enjoy. Like, there are people, the Ashley Coffins of the world, and God bless them, who love the gore. And I have no problem with it. To me, sanitizing violence is, I think, a a, a societally not great thing to do. I think 
overly like exploiting like yeah maybe you can get into some not great territory but i'm a lot more comfortable i don't want to watch it but i'm a lot more comfortable with that happening than with the like just purely sanitized yeah Um, i haven't really given too much thought to that in terms of like any whatever consequences there are of it like i just generally find it gross and don't want to watch it that much but like you do you you know yeah (laughs) exactly well there's 8 million other things I could bring up, but I want this to not become a three-hour podcast. Um, are there any other kind of big things that you wanted to bring up in terms of like issues you feel like we kept uh, returning to or questions we kept going over or anything like that? Um, I guess in the spirit of this podcast, I had absolutely no notes or ideas <laughs> of what I wanted to talk about going in. Um, you know, I'll say that, um, yeah, there, there is something that I guess I'd like to kind of pivot to. Sure. Which is that um, I've I've really loved being on this podcast and having all these conversations with you, and it has really um, helped me think about a lot of things in ways that I might not have otherwise thought about them. Mm. Um, there, there is also though this like. I want to write my own stories more. I used to. And then I, I really haven't written almost any stories since I started being on the podcast. Mm. And I feel like there there is something there where it's not just, um, you know, that's kind of how my life has been. Some of that is, right? Some of it is like, yeah, you know, I mean, I've got other stuff going on. I've moved several times. Like, we've had COVID around, right? Like, there's been stuff going on. So um, I, I want to make it clear. I'm not saying, like, the podcast is necessarily the reason I haven't created new stories. But I do think that there's something to be said for, um, I think it's difficult to kind of do critique or really think about other stories a lot and then also kind of in the same time period be creating new stories yeah i think that's fair and and it's kind of because it's like two very different ways of of approaching storytelling one is um I mean, it's one thing to kind of just just be absorbing some but then to kind of really think Critically, in certain ways, I think um, I think it can make it hard. Certainly for me, because I, th- I think one of my biggest challenges as a storyteller is being kind of too critical of the story before it even exists. Mm. You know, and um, that and that kind of goes with the the idea of like you know watching something. Some of my favorite things that I've watched are things that I had the least expectations for. Mm-hmm. You know, and so I think kind of creating too many expectations in terms of thinking about um, thinking about kind of how a story might impact people. Uh, I, I think there's value to that and value to understanding kind of the consequences of the stories we tell. But I, I think that also can kind of um, be a little bit of a freezing thing. And so I understand when there are writers or, you know, storytellers who basically don't want to engage a whole lot with the um, the discussion around what they're creating, mm. you know. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense to me. And I'll especially the idea that, like, when you engage in the critique of something, it, it just gets into your head. Like, yeah, I I love cooking shows with a passion and Top Chef is by far my favorite. And it is fun watching these 
people who are incredibly knowledgeable about food, dissect food, and at times be very critical of how it's cooked. And I also know that the first couple of years I watched it, I didn't want to cook anything. Because mm. now in my head were all these things about like, oh, yeah, no, like, I remember that, like, how, how mad this judge gets when, like, this thing happens or when that thing happens. Like, I, I don't want to do that, right. you know? Not even like that I worry about other people critiquing, but just that I'd be in my head about it. And I had to really kind of separate that a little bit of, like, giving myself some space. And so, yeah, I, I, I think that makes a lot of sense. And I think for me as a writer – uh, and I think you're kind of p- getting to like making some comments about what you see for the future and I yeah. want to give you that chance. But I'll just say kind of in response as well, I love looking at all this media critically. But I will say that I think if there's if there's one hard thing I think about being a podcaster about the media is that it makes it harder to watch media sometimes. Yeah. And and for me, it's, it's for three things. It's the A, that if I'm watching something that I think is enjoyable, but that I don't think is ever going to be something I can talk on a podcast, it feels a bit like a waste of time, which I don't love. And sometimes I push through. And so I was watching um, Too Hot to Handle earlier today, which is the trashiest of trashy dating shows. There's <laughs> all sorts of problems, but I'm, you know, I'm letting myself enjoy some trash every now and then. A second thing is that I think like it's hard to turn off the analysis and just watch. Yeah. You know? And it's hard to just be able to get yourself fully immersed in a story. And, it certainly happens, and I think even more – in some ways, the things I'm most impressed by are where I'm like, oh my god, that was so good. I really want a podcast about it, but I'm going to have to go back and watch it again. Right. Because I got too sucked into the story to even think about those kind of things along the way. And the third thing, and this is kind of – you know, this isn't an ethical thing. It's just a kind of preference thing. and it, Well, it's tied into all sorts of business stuff, but I just – I hate watching things week to week. And – the world of podcasting, and not even not even the world of podcasting, which the world of content is such that if I chose to wait until a show, all 12 episodes are out three months later, you know, A, I'm going to have to just dodge spoilers like crazy, but also B, like, it's just, you've missed, now I'm like, okay, I finished the show. Let's talk about that cool thing that happened in episode two. And over and around you is like, episode two, we talked about that three months ago. Right. Um, so, yeah. So, it's all ways in which, like. I definitely think podcasting changes the way you look at media and I I, I think I can – it's definitely a a reason why sometimes I've wanted to take a break and can understand like different views of like, yeah, maybe I'm going to change my approach to some of this. Yeah, and it's – to me, the type of thing that's also not like this is good, this is bad. It's more this is different, right? right? Yeah. Um, I – in my in my first book, Way of the Poker Warrior, I wrote a – a chapter that was basically about kind of like the consequences of making something your job where I was talking about Taekwondo and how once I became a Taekwondo instructor, like professionally, the feeling of training was different, right? Mm -hmm. I, I couldn't experience just like being a student the same way anymore because all of my training was also, you know, it, it was, designed to make me a better teacher at the same time and there was all this responsibility it was it was like being a taekwondo adult as opposed to being like a kid right Mm -hmm. and um you know the same thing with poker where it's like poker can be a very fun game to play you know with friends or with strangers as a way of you know you might win some money you might lose some money but at the end of the day like the point is that you have fun and maybe in the long run it's profitable but it's like it's not such a big deal Mm -hmm. and when you know when you make it a career though it's like well you know every day is is work 
right? It's it's work in a different way than going to play, possibly being profitable, but not really worrying about it, not relying on it. And, um, you know, similarly, like watching a show and knowing, okay, I'm, I'm going to want to talk about this. Um, you know, if I were to do it the best that I thought I could do it, I would probably watch everything once, trying to be kind of free of expectations and just like kind of soak it up. And then afterwards, I might write a little bit about it, take down some notes, and then I'd watch it again and try and note some details. And then I would probably go and see, you know, maybe kind of some of the conversation that was going around it. And then I would come back and watch it a third time with kind of the understanding of that conversation. And then I would try and synthesize all of that into kind of some of what I wanted to say. That sounds like I would end up doing a 10-hour podcast. And you know what? I probably would. (laughs) Probably, especially if we were both doing it that way. And, you know, there's an extent to which I usually would watch the thing. And then, like, maybe you and I would talk about it a little bit. And then we would do the podcast. And, And some things I would watch two times. I mean, I remember I think that last episode of Mandalorian season two, I might've watched four times before we recorded on it. Cause I was just yeah. like, it's so good. <laughs> um, and good in a particular way that I like wanted to like re-experience it. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but yeah, it's, it, it does take something that I love, which is w- watching a show or watching a movie and then adding a layer of work to it that does kind of transform it. And for me, it's less about thinking about what I want to say about it. And it's more when I then start hearing kind of the the conversations that other people are having about a thing, um, mm-hmm. which is something I'm interested in later. But that's one of the things about the week to week that is so kind of awkward for me is like, I don't want to be having someone else's thoughts in my head while I'm still experiencing the thing, you know, and the thing being the whole season or perhaps the whole show. Like, I feel like I want to have my experience of the story and then I'm curious, okay, what was your experience? Oh, interesting. Let's talk about that. Yeah. And I'm I'm not as extreme as you are, but I'm definitely part way there. And I will say that WandaVision was a big thing that pushed me in your direction. Mm, yeah. And um, this podcast is part of the Stranded Panda network of podcasts. A lot of great co- – they're all great podcasts. Definitely check them all out, strandedpanda.com. The flagship of that is the MCU cast, uh, which is – if you're a fan of Marvel stuff, it's a fantastic podcast. Definitely worth checking out. Uh, three wonderful people run that, uh, all of whom have been guests on here. But – one of the things that they love to do is to not only discuss like what just happened, but then to go deep into speculation about what's coming next. And WandaVision especially, like there were all of these kind of things that people were picking up on as possible like hidden clues about like and one Mephisto, of the running jokes Mephisto, became, like, Mephisto. Is this, Yeah, is this Mephisto exactly? Uh who I guess is like a devil creature in the MCU. I don't know much. Um don't give me 10 angry emails of who it is, please. <laughs> Save it for them. But the point being, like, I got so sucked into that that I found, like, I was looking for certain things instead of getting to just enjoy the thing. Right. And, yeah, I think that's a part of, like, I like hearing people's perspective. Like, what I love is, like, let's talk about the thing. And, like, if there's perspective you had, cool, let me hear that. 
but yeah, it, it's it's when it becomes how is this going to change and affect the way you're seeing this thing going forward. Yeah, I can, I can definitely get that. Yeah, and I'd just like to say you know a few words about Stranded Panda and the you know the Stranded Panda network. I I mean I found it to be a a delightful. I guess I still find it to be, but kind of not. Um, let me rephrase this. <laughs> <laughs> I found the Stranded Panda Network to be a delightful group of people who were enjoying a lot of the same things I was enjoying in a way that was fairly different from how I generally enjoy them. And for a period of time, I enjoyed that and going on, you know, their Twitch, Stranded Panda TV, uh, and and really enjoying interacting and, and being part of that. But... It's not the primary way that I like to enjoy stories. And, you know, the fact that everyone's so dialed in to all the previews and all the speculation, uh, it just ends up not being really compatible with the way that I enjoy watching, you know, that I enjoy watching or reading stories. And as a result, I, you know, I even I saw that they were streaming the other day and I was like, oh, let me let me see whether I can sneak in here without. And then they're like, and in Black Panther, I'm like, nope. And I'm like, damn, yep. you know, and it's like, that's, that's not them doing anything wrong. They're actually really great about trying to, um, keep the, the spoilers to a minimum in the, in the Facebook group. But, you know, for someone who's not going to see something until 45 days after it's released, uh, it's, you know, it's, it's a little too acrobatic to constantly be trying yeah. to dodge spoilers and, um, you know, and, and so I, I kind of, you know, detach from that, but it's, it's not from any kind of like lack of love for the people. I, th- I think, um, everybody in involved in it like really does a great job and if that is how you want to experience stories definitely you know check out the facebook group check out the twitch check out the youtube um you know and and the podcasts of course yeah and and like i'll say and and also i have the same feelings from my best friends in the world i got through stranded panda a lot of my listeners i know i got through stranded panda continue to get and, and continue to be very happy to be in that network and it's funny though because it also doesn't just happen there like I have in the last six months or so really made a lot of great friends in Star Wars TikTok, right. which I'm so glad for, all of whom have been going crazy, over, all of whom have been getting super excited about all the things that are apparently revealed in the Bad Batch Season 2 spoiler. <laughs> yeah. uh, uh, Spo- trailer. You know, that, like, I love that Spico, by the way. <laughs> spoiler instead of trailer. That's exactly yeah, what it exactly, is. Exactly, right? And I'm just like, no, 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 stop, stop, stop. Um, See, so yeah, I get that. So, yeah. Uh, we're coming up on – got a couple more things to talk about and I don't want this to go above two hours. So um, I, I think you were kind of leading to something you wanted to say about in terms of all the stuff about what the podcast has done, but your writing and stuff like that. Um, uh, so if you want to say that now, great. Otherwise, I will kind of take us in a new direction as well if I've totally mis- misinterpreted you. Yeah, no. I'll, I'll say that now. Basically, um, I, I'm going to be podcasting less about media um, exactly what my plan is for next year, um, which might be this year when you're listening to this. I don't know. I mean, people listen to things whenever. Um, I'm not 100% sure. I definitely want to write some stories. I'm not certain whether those will be stories that I publish under my own name or under various incognito pseudonyms. But if they are published <laughs> under my own name, um, you'll be able to find them on or find out about them on zenmadman.com, which is my website, which still currently just makes a bunch of Daredevil references and has pictures of me from the, you know, 2006 time period. (laughs) But, uh, you know, I I expect to be doing some more with that. Uh, I 
I am a poker player by trade at the moment, and I, I will keep doing that for certainly for the next year. Um, possibly we will do some, I mean, I will probably be making some YouTube videos and streaming on Twitch as Zen Madman and Zen Madman Poker on, on YouTube. Um, and maybe we'll do some podcasting related to that. Uh, if mm-hmm. if people are interested in that, I'd, I'd be happy to hear that. Um, and if people aren't, that's fine. It's a fairly different um kind of subject right um and then also like chess somehow maybe fits in there all of it i'd say the way it mostly relates to superhero ethics is to me it's kind of all about making decisions um you know to me the heart of superhero ethics um and where where ethics isn't like my favorite word for this but i understand that it's you know the one people use um is like it's about what does what decisions do people make in what scenarios and what do we think about those decisions? You know, like, do we think those are, are good decisions or do we think those are not the best decisions? And, you know, poker and chess are all about, you know, what do we know about the situation and what do we think is the best decision? There, there's a fairly clear objective of, you know, trying to win. Whereas in life, some people approach life that way. I'm not super <laughs> fond of that approach of decisions uh, in life. If I were, I'd probably have more money, <laughs> but yeah. I don't know if I'd be as happy and I, I don't know if the people around me would be as happy. Makes a lot of sense. Yeah. And I think I, I really appreciate you saying all that. Um, as I said at the beginning, I don't know exactly what the future of this podcast is going to be. Star Wars Universe podcast is definitely going to continue week to week. I think we have a couple of episodes already lined up for January and February. I think what will likely happen is that I'm going to sort of put some feelers out to find out other people who are interested in being guests from time to time. If someone wants to step up and be a co-host, then we may well do that. But I think I've been recognizing, like, not even just with Paul stepping aside, but, like, I definitely have been going through some superhero burnout. I love the MCU. I'm enjoying some of the DC stuff. There's a lot of it, though, and it's a little bit overwhelming, and I've kind of noticed how much of that media I've been watching, as well as, like, and I think the listener numbers for this podcast are down a good deal over where they were maybe a year or two ago. Um, part of that is I think that the super the Star Wars podcast numbers have gone up quite a good deal, and part of that is I think that we're putting out much more recent content with Star Wars in a way we're not doing with this podcast in the same way. Part of that may be there's a lot of you who enjoy the things I have to say, but once a month of all my ums and uh, ahs and, and heavy breathing and the like is all you can take. It's totally legitimate, too. And so if you're doing Star Wars. But I think it, it's a good chance for us to take a look at it and go like, okay, well, what else can we do? So there's definitely going to be more podcasting that I do, sometimes in partnership with Paul, sometimes in partnership with others. It's going to be connected to media in some ways. Uh, I may also wind up being a close partner with Paul or a, like a co-host or a frequent guest or an infrequent guest on the poker and critical thinking and decision-making and chess and all that and learning. We'll see where that goes. But I would say kind of – I would say two things. One is like keep your eyes open. January might be a bit of a quiet month while we start to kind of like figure some things out. But I said we will have at least a, at least two podcasts will go out. It might be that this goes to a once every other week format for a while. It might be that it's kind of a bonus thing format for a while. Um, but especially, like I said, heroes look for accountability and heroes look for buy-in. So for those of you who are listening, I would love to hear from you. Let me know what would you like to hear more of in 2023 if that's Keep zero ethics exactly the same. You, you really love it as it is. Great. If you're like, yeah, it would be interesting for you to go in some new directions. And maybe like one idea might be that like once a month we just 
do an episode on a particular topic and talk about all the media that kind of fits into that. Or like maybe once a month or once every two weeks, we just do a roundup of the big media that came out in that time. So it's always much more current and talk about what are the big questions it raised. It might be that it's just like, yeah, every two weeks we'll find something to talk about and see what it is. Paul and I were going back and forth on some ideas about doing like a deep dive into The Wire or into Jericho, which is a TV show we love that kind of in many – like it's a fairly unknown show and it's a network TV with some of the problems of network TV. But it also is kind of a perfect summation of all the issues that we talk about on this show. Yeah. Except maybe the graphicness of violence. But but uh, that's because it's network TV in the, in the 90s and – in the early 2000s. Um, so I don't know exactly what direction it's going to go. But I would love to hear from you. As always, theethicalpanda.com has all the information. You can find me on Facebook, on Twitter. You can find me going to my Discord, which I'll publish. And you can find me um, – just send me an email, matthew at theethicalpanda.com. Not sure exactly what it's going to be. I do know that finding ways to pay for all this because there is a lot of time and equipment and money I'm sticking into it, and that's not going to be very sustainable. And so there will be a Patreon of some kind that we're really trying to build in. It probably will be up and going by the time this is up, this episode goes live. So check that out. Um, and we're going to be trying to make bonus content. Uh, you're going to hear the bonus content for this episode after the ads uh, and, and final credits and stuff like that. But, but in the future, those will probably be uh, behind the, the Patreon wall. But it's going to be a very low wall, like $3 a month or something like that. Um, so I don't. there's a lot of stuff that I don't know about, though, yet. So please send in some emails. Send in some ideas. This is a time of contemplation, consideration, finding the new direction, and I'd love to hear from you. So really, on behalf of myself, uh, I just want to say thank you to all of you for being great listeners throughout this entire process. Thank you for being a part of this whole project. And I'll let Paul do kind of a, a goodbye sign-off as well. But just where, whatever direction we go in, I know that you all have sustained us for literally more than six years You've made this project so exciting, so interesting, and I've learned and grown so much from it, and I just want to say thank you. You heard it here first. Matthew wants to build a wall, <laughs> but it's going to be a low wall. There you go. There um, you go. <laughs> on a more serious note, uh, wherever we do go from here, uh, it's been an honor um, with, you know, doing all this with you, Matthew, and with all the guests. Um, I've, I've just had such a good time with the, the conversations themselves. And then also, um, hearing feedback and, you know, knowing people were listening, uh, which if you're, you know, if you're trying to transmit the, the plans to the death star is, is very useful. Uh, but you don't want it <laughs> if, um, you're trying to escape an Imperial work camp. I think that's a very good summation of the things we've learned uh, entirely from Star Wars. But yeah, exactly. exactly. Uh, I will say, by the way, also, I've been talking for a while about some kind of family feud episode where we get a lot of the common guests. That will definitely happen sometime in 2023. We'll let you know. But for now, uh, we're going to go into our last set of commercials and closing music. And then this episode, this, to, to quote the Kingston Trio, this exit will be slightly felonious because we'll have a little bit of bonus content coming to you right after this. Send Madman out. Ethical panda in. Oh. Um, all right, Paul. So last question I'm going to throw at you. And this is the kind of question that I know you like some preparation for. So uh, my apologies. But what are some of the pieces of media that you think like if, if people wanted to either get a really good idea of your position on these questions or if they just want like media that you think is really good for raising the kind of questions we're talking about? And I'm going to make this a little harder by saying, let's take our go-tos off the board. <laughs> right. so, uh, can I speak to you about my our Lord and Savior, Andor? No. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, Andor, The Wire, 
V for Vendetta, the Batman stuff in general. Like, I think all those we can sort of just put on the table. We all know those are those are the big ones. Yeah. What What are some others you'd mention? I mean, one that we never really got around to, I think, because you just didn't dig it as much as I did, is Gross Point Blank. I think mm, it's yeah. an interesting exploration into, like, you know the use of violence and kind of its place in our world or its lack of place or it touches on, you know, some kind of leftist philosophy type stuff that we talk about and, mm-hmm. you know, corruption and stuff like that. But it's also just really fun, you know, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if that makes sense. Um, it has a great use of uh, Luftballons, you know, the, the German original version of 99 Red Balloons. And um, yeah, just the soundtrack is great. Uh, that's one that I feel like, you know, I haven't mentioned much, but like I just think is uh, it's it's a movie that's I don't know. It has it has meaning to me. Uh, I saw it on my something or other birthday. Um, nice. Yeah, so so that's one. And then more recently, in terms of a show that uh, I really enjoyed, and I think a lot of people would enjoy, and it also touches on a lot of the same things and is also pretty funny, is um, Belasco Oran, uh, P.I. or P.I. or I don't, I don't know whether he says it P.I. because I think it's supposed to be kind of like a re- reference to like Magnum P.I., but he's... Um, He's not a private investigator. He's an independent <laughs> uh, detective, right? Or not? Yeah. Okay. I think, but um, it's like 19, late 70s, Mexico City, um, you know, independent detective going around trying to, to solve some, some mysteries with, you know, some police corruption and stuff like that. And I won't say too much more about it. The, the actor um, is in the third season of uh, Narcos Mexico. And I just think is a fantastic actor. And uh, I just really enjoyed the show a lot. Nice. Yeah. Nice. Yeah, I think some of the ones that are for me, first is one that we did do an episode on, but that I just would really recommend because we didn't talk much about representation on this, but I this is the show that I think is like the pinnacle of representation, the pinnacle of world building, where your world is really trying to say what happens when we... We don't have to have racism in this world. We don't have to have queer phobia and the like. Uh, and that's Shira. Oh, yeah. The, the, the new animated version. I just thought it was so good and just did such great things as well as doing such a great portrayal of mental illness. Uh, in, in, like, I think it does a version of the Danny Zuko story that is as good, uh, if not better. And I think that's a purely subjective, just which one you like more. Right, right. The I Zuko mean, story. Yeah, I mean, yeah, but it's like the defining thing. But I, I definitely related to it a little bit more in Shira. Sure. But it's just – it is so good for all those things. A second one – and here is kind of like my version of Gross Point Blank, although you probably have much better reasons for not liking this than I do. Uh, I don't know what it is about Gross Point Blank. I'll try it again sometime. It just didn't grab me. Probably a point in my life where I watched it. I think that some of the absolute best television out there right now that is diving into all the issues that we talk about is The Boys. Mm. And I just think particularly because it's kind of a satire or a commentary on and a reflection on so much of the stuff that we're doing here. Um, and I, I get it. You have this weird idea that you want to be able to like like a character, uh, at least one on screen. <laughs> I don't get it. But that's your thing. Um, so that's one I would definitely recommend. Another that we just didn't cover because it's like part of the Star Trek universe, and so I actually did it with Matthew Carroll, but is the Orville. The Orville, I think, is doing all the things that Star Trek did, and in some ways doing it even better, but also commenting on Star Trek in terms of like 
using science fiction as this model and vehicle for um, com- like you know creating fake scenarios that are mirrors of our own world uh, in really wonderful ways. Um, and so that's one I would lift up. And then I had another one that's completely gone out of my head. So, yeah. So, those were my three, actually. Now, Orville was always meant to be the third. All right. So, <laughs> if you got three, then I'm going to throw a third one out there in the holiday spirit. I you had three. Huh? I thought you had I three. I said two. Okay. Give me I said three. Gross Point Blank and Belasco Aran. Um, okay. I mentioned Narcos Mexico, but that wasn't what I was talking about. That was That's where the that's actor um, is. And then he's also in some other show, uh, Club de Cuervos. But, um, yeah. In the holiday spirit... Um, I'm going to throw, I know people like to talk about Die Hard being a Christmas movie, but I think The Long Kiss Goodnight is a much better Christmas movie. Uh, it's very <laughs> festive. There's like Christmas lights at the end popping while somebody might be dying. Um, and it's, it's Gina Davis as an extremely badass assassin. Uh, I guess spoilers, but you kind of get that in the beginning, I think. Um, and Samuel L. Jackson as a, um, uh, a, a PI, <laughs> mm-hmm. and you know it's got Brian Cox and um, someone else whose name I forget, but really reminds me of someone I knew when I was younger. Uh, awesome. <laughs> and and yeah, I think it's also a fun movie that maybe doesn't explore too much, um, <laughs> you know, the 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 roles of violence and whatever. But uh, yeah, it's it's a lot of fun. It's fun. And funny. It's I, I like my action comedies, you know? Yeah. And I think that's why I responded so well to, to Marvel early on, was like, that's basically mm-hmm. what they were doing, so. I mean, we've talked about how Bullet Train was a movie that I watched, and I, I remember saying to you specifically, like, Paul, I think this is a movie you will love. I don't want a podcast with you on it, because I think it's just a movie to just enjoy. Right. And we probably could come up with some podcasts sure. on it, but I kind of don't want to. It's I'd, fine I'd rather just be able to just love it, because it's a really great movie. Yeah, for sure. Cool. All right. Well, Paul, thank you so much for being a part of this journey. As I said to everybody, we will continue to find ways to bring in Paul, to do other things to, to bring in all of you, your feedback, your ideas, all of that. So thank you again so much and climb. Goodbye. Goodbye.